You are listening to the Finance Professor Podcast, brought to you by financeprofessor.org. All right. Welcome back to the Finance Professor Podcast. I know there's been a long wait for the subscribers on this one, but I'm happy to bring you one of my papers today. As the Finance Professor Podcast hits double digits with episode 10, we're going to hear broken bucks, money funds that took taxpayer guarantees in 2008. As the President and the Congress bandy around the nonsense about the emergency declaration about the border wall, the true slush fund in the U.S. government is the exchange rate stabilization fund. And today we're going to talk about a use for the exchange rate stabilization fund, which could totally fund Trump's border wall, that had nothing to do with exchange rate stabilization. Program that guaranteed $2.7 trillion with almost no analysis no oversight, no transparency during the height of the financial crisis. And you're going to hear about that program in my paper. Enjoy. Broken Bucks, Money Funds That Took Taxpayer Guarantees in 2008 by Linus Wilson, Associate Professor of Finance, University of Louisiana at Lafayette. The author is grateful to the generous support of the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. The study represents the views of the author alone and not the University of Louisiana at Lafayette or the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Abstract. This is the first study to look at the characteristics of funds accepting the $2.7 trillion taxpayer guarantee of money market mutual funds during the 2008 financial crisis. Funds with lower asset maturities were significantly less likely to need federal or sponsor bailouts. Fund shares that benefited from the Federal Reserve's asset-backed commercial paper program were significantly more likely to get bailed out by taxpayers and sponsors. Finally, the paper tests if funds adhering to the SEC's 2010 liquidity reforms prior to their enactment were less likely to be bailed out in 2008. Introduction. This is the first study to analyze the characteristics of funds accepting the U.S. Treasury's temporary guarantee of money market mutual funds. Indeed, this paper is the only source that provides a complete list of fund families participating in this unprecedented guarantee of money market mutual funds. Here, it is estimated that the guarantee of money market mutual funds from September 19, 2008 to September 18, 2009 guaranteed $2.7 trillion in money market mutual fund assets from its onset. Kim looks at the redemption behavior of investors before and after funds accepting the TTG MMF guarantees. The paper does not look at the characteristics of funds receiving and not receiving U.S. Treasury backing as the present paper does. Moreover, because it identifies participants by announcements, its sample is much smaller than this study, which obtained a complete list of funds by way of a Freedom of Information Act request. The present study has identified 146 fund sponsors receiving U.S. Treasury guarantees to Kim's 75 fund sponsors accepting Treasury's temporary guarantee of money market mutual funds. The financial industry has been the target of greater regulation since the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009, and the money market mutual fund industry is no exception. Money market mutual funds are unique among investment companies because under the Rule 2A7, they are allowed to maintain stable net asset value of $1 per share. That means that investors can redeem fund shares for $1 even if the NAV falls to $0.995 as explained by Fish and Reuter and Bird Thistle. In 2010, the Securities and Exchange Commission passed a series of new regulations to improve the liquidity of money market mutual funds so they would be less vulnerable to large numbers of redemptions in their fund shares. This paper empirically tests that these reforms would have prevented the bailouts in the 2007 to 2009 financial crisis. It is shown that funds which have a weighted average maturity of less than 60 days were significantly less likely to receive bailouts from taxpayers or their mutual fund families sponsors. 
that was one of five new liquidity requirements for the 2010 reforms which were tested. In addition, funds were less exposed to securities that increased the fund's weighted average life, while auction rate securities were found to be less likely to receive taxpayer bailouts. This study finds little evidence that other new regulations about the daily liquidity, weekly liquidity, and second-tier commercial paper holdings were associated with decreased propensity for taxpayer and fund sponsor bailouts. On September 16, 2008, after Lehman Brothers Chapter 11 filing triggered the largest commercial paper default in U.S. history, the primary reserve fund broke the buck because of Lehman's Brothers holdings, posting a NAV below 0.995. Wormers details how prime institutional money market funds were exposed to runs in this period. Morgan Stern writes that the U.S. Treasury responded in September 19, 2008 by announcing that it would use the $50 billion exchange rate stabilization fund to guarantee that insured money market funds would not break the buck for fees ranging from 1 to 1.5 basis points per quarter. This was not the only instance of a money fund breaking the buck between 1980 and 2009. Moody's explains that the Reserve Management, the sponsor of the Reserve Primary Fund, had another sister fund based in the British Virgin Islands that broke the buck. Ultimately, recoveries for the Reserve Primary Fund and sister fund were 0.99 and 0.86 per share. In 1994, a fund invested in inverse floaters securities with complex bets on interest rates. It broke the buck, returning 0.96 to shareholders. The rarity of money funds breaking the buck masked their greater risk. Prior to 2007 to 2009 financial crisis, Moody's argues that there were no less than 146 instances where voluntary fund sponsor bailouts prevented funds from breaking the buck since 1980. In the financial crisis, Moody's 2010 identified 62 instances of sponsor support that prevented funds from breaking the buck. Based on the Moody's 2010 estimates, the appendix in Section 8 explains the fair cost of insuring $2.716 trillion of money market assets should have been 13 to 33 basis points per year, not the 4 to 6 basis points charged. This paper is similar to McCabe and Kapersnik and Schnabel in that it looks at the factors associated with the discretionary sponsor bailouts in the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. Yet, unlike McCabe and Kapirznik and Schnabel. This paper looks at how the 2010 reforms proposals could have mitigated the need for sponsor bailouts. Similar to Dugan Bump et al., this paper looks at which funds accepted Federal Reserve support during the financial crisis. Unlike that study, the present paper discovers that participation in the Federal Reserve's asset-backed commercial paper buying program is positively associated with the money funds receiving taxpayer and sponsor bailouts. SEC 2012 is the only study which the author is aware of that rigorously tests the effectiveness of the 2010 money market reforms. That study uses Monte Carlo simulations to conclude that the reduction in the max weighted average maturity of fund assets from 90 to 60 days increased funds reliance on shocks. The empirical results here complement SEC 2012 because the paper finds that funds with weighted average maturity below 60 days were significantly less likely to receive sponsor support or taxpayer guarantees. This paper proceeds as follows. In Section 2, the sources of data are discussed. In Section 3, five quantifiable reforms from the SEC's 2010 money fund regulation are discussed. In Section 4, hypotheses are developed. In Section 5, the factors associated with money funds receiving taxpayer bailouts are discussed. In particular, funds receiving taxpayer guarantees had higher weighted average maturities and greater exposure to auction rate securities with long weighted average lines. Prime funds, higher yielding funds, older funds, larger funds, and funds which saw positive inflows during the week that Lehman failed were more likely to get taxpayer guarantees. In Section 6, the factors associated with sponsor support are tested. It is found that having weighted average maturity below 60 days reduced the likelihood of sponsor bailouts. Moreover, the funds were with the lowest NAVs that obtained taxpayer insurance were significantly more likely to get sponsor bailouts. In Section 7, the paper concludes, in the Appendix Section 8, the Moody's 2010 data was used to estimate the fair cost of insuring money funds from breaking the buck. The sample includes money market mutual fund shares tracked by CRISP's mutual fund database. 
This is all funds with LIBOR classifications of institutional money market funds, institutional U.S. government money market funds, institutional U.S. Treasury money market funds, money market, in money market instrument funds, U.S. government money market funds, and U.S. Treasury money market funds. This database tracks the assets, expense ratios, fund age, in years, and yields used in this study. There were 1,565 different mutual fund share classes that fit these criteria on September 30, 2008, the closest month and date to the time when the money market mutual fund guarantee began. The author obtained data on the participating funds in the U.S. Treasury's temporary guarantee of money market mutual funds, TTGMMMF, to which we will refer to as the Taxpayer Guarantee or the U.S. Treasury Guarantee, a Freedom of Information Act request. The U.S. Treasury listed 358 funds or groups of funds that took advantage of this guarantee. That represented 1,424 different share classes, which the author matched by hand to the CRISP database of mutual fund share classes. The FOIA list is a unique data set that has never been studied prior to the drafting of this paper. The U.S. Treasury has never publicly released the names of participating funds and the individual fees paid by these funds. Table 7 is the first complete listing of participating mutual fund companies. Officials from the U.S. Treasury told the corresponding author that the U.S. Treasury had lost all records of what turned out to be a $2.7 trillion taxpayer guarantee. The U.S. Treasury pieced together records of this massive insurance program in part from email accounts of officials who had long since departed from the U.S. Treasury. This request gave a complete listing of participating mutual funds or mutual fund groups. Funds signed up for this insurance program between September 29, 2008 and October 8, 2008. From the FOIA request, the author obtained the insurance fees charged at the beginning of the program for 284 of the 358 funds listed in the FOIA request. Yet the U.S. Treasury chose to hide the amounts guaranteed in insurance payments at the request of the sponsors of 74 of the money market mutual funds listed. The author has appealed the decision to hide this data from the general public. Nevertheless, we are able to obtain the insurance rates and insurance fees paid from the annual and semi-annual reports filed with the SEC for 65 of the 74 funds that wanted to hide their involvement in the taxpayer guarantee. Thus, in total, we have the insurance fee rates paid for 349 out of 358 funds and 1,414 of 1,424 share classes, which were both guaranteed by taxpayers and tracked by CRISP. We know that funds that paid a one basis point insurance rate had floating net asset values at or above 0.9975 per share on September 19, 2008. Participating funds that paid the rate of 1.5 basis points had NAVs at or above 0.995 but below 0.9975. Thus, we created dummy variable equal to 1 if the funds identified by the U.S. Treasury paid rates between 1.05 and 1.5 basis points. Several names on the FOIA list consisted of several funds which paid the blended rate to the U.S. Treasury. Since the amount guaranteed is a linear function of the rate and the guarantee fees, we could accurately estimate the assets guaranteed with little rounding. The only exceptions were five different AIM and VESCO funds, the Anchor Series Trust, Kinetics Government Money Market Fund, the Strategic Partners Mutual Fund, and the WDB Capital Mutual Funds. Those funds' poor disclosures, which were outside the industry norm, prevented the author and, more importantly, the fund's investors from knowing the insurance fees and rates paid for the taxpayer guarantee. In Table 1, we list the fund sponsors who received taxpayer guarantees and the amount of taxpayer guarantee. In total, the U.S. Treasury guaranteed in excess of $2.7 trillion in money market assets in 2008. This estimate is based on the Treasury's response to the FOIA for 284 of the 358 funds. SEC filings for another 65 funds and the estimates based on the mutual fund assets of the remaining nine 
online from the Crisp Mutual Fund database as of September 30, 2008. The author aggregated that data by the fund sponsor to produce Table 1. This is the only complete listing of fund sponsors participating in the $2.7 trillion taxpayer guarantee. We use other measures of money market funds distress during the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. Agapova 2011 finds that mutual fund sponsors often park cash of non-money funds in money market mutual funds. Thus, sponsors not only have reputational reasons for bailing out money funds, they also may benefit other sponsor funds with assets in the assisted money fund. Hensler 2012 is a list prepared by the SEC of 313 instances where sponsors applied for waivers of the related party transaction rules so that the sponsor could bail out a money fund. Formally, Hensler 2012, page 1, defines sponsor support as purchasing securities out of a fund at an amortized cost value, entering into a capital support agreement for a fund, purchasing a letter of credit to support a fund, contributing a cash gift to a fund, providing a guarantee or put for the fund portfolio security, and obtaining a no-action relief to buy out any security at the amortized cost value. The Investment Company Institute, a trade group representing the mutual fund industry, opposes the SEC's definition of sponsor support, arguing that it is too broad and does not always apply to distressed funds. This is certainly the case. In Figure 2, we see that only a from breaking the buck. Yet, it is clear from Table 2 that many instances of sponsors' support, as defined by the SEC, were also cases where money market funds would have broken the buck without sponsor assistance. The SEC data in Hensler represents a unique data set that has not been exposed to any empirical testing at the time of writing. It has a much narrower definition of support than the SEC study in Hensler. Only cash gifts or below-market purchases of securities constitute support in Brady et al. The authors of Brady et al. worked at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. This Boston Fed study excludes insurance arrangements, puts, or letters of credit as support because they would be difficult to value. Clearly, this definition is too narrow because insurance must have some value or otherwise no one would pay for it. We use the narrow Boston Fed definition of support as well as the broader SEC definition of support in the present paper. Fund shares that receive sponsor support as identified by Brady et al. between 2007 and September 18, 2009, the end of the U.S. Treasury money market guarantee, are associated with a dummy variable equal to 1. If the fund shares did not receive any sponsor support, the dummy variable is set to 0. In our sample of 1,565 fund share classes, only 86 fund share classes were identified as having sponsor support according to the Boston Fed study. This is the first study to empirically test the data in Brady et al. 2012. We also used the Boston Fed data to determine which funds would have broken the buck without sponsor support. Any fund receiving aggregate sponsor support greater than 0.5% of fund assets or 0.005 cents per fund share from 2007 to September 18, 2009 is defined as breaking the buck. Thus, the corresponding fund shares tracked by CRISP were coded 1 if they had sponsor support sufficient to break the buck over the period. Otherwise, they were coded 0. Only 57 fund share classes out of 1,565 broke the buck by this definition. In Table 2, we aggregate the instances of sponsor support as defined by the SEC. The assets of sponsor-supported funds are listed as of September 30, 2008. Next, we aggregate the fund assets of funds receiving both U.S. Treasury guarantees and sponsor support as defined by the SEC. Then we aggregate the assets of the funds receiving sponsor support as defined by both Boston Fed and SEC. Finally, we aggregate the assets of the funds receiving support under the SEC definition that would have broken the buck without sponsor support based on Brady et al. 2012 data. The assets of money funds with sponsor support in 2007 or 2008 topped $700 billion. Almost all of these funds were insured by taxpayers. 
Over 25% of the $2.716 trillion in money fund assets insured by taxpayers were funds that the SEC believed were being propped up by their sponsors. The funds received cash support as defined by the Boston Fed, accounted for just over 30% of the funds defined as receiving support by the SEC. Only one in six fund assets, $114 billion out of $705 billion, which are identified as receiving support by the SEC, would have broken the buck. Of the 27 fund sponsors identified by the SEC as supporting their funds during the financial crisis, only seven provided cash support sufficient to prevent the funds from breaking the buck between 2007 and September 18, 2009, the end of the U.S. Treasury's Money Market Mutual Fund Guarantee Program. Nevertheless, however, we slice the data. Money funds were riskier during the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009 than is suggested by only one money fund breaking the buck during the time of stress. Sponsor support masks many of the risks of money funds. Moreover, the instances where sponsors provided letters of credit, puts, guarantees, and other forms of insurance, but never provided cash payouts likely prevented some more funds from breaking the buck. These actions likely caused institutional concerns about the funds and prevented liquidity crises that could have caused these sponsor-assisted funds to break the buck. In the same way, the explicit taxpayer guarantee of up to $2.7 trillion of money market mutual fund assets from September 19, 2008 to September 18, 2009 likely prevented additional money funds from breaking the buck during the crisis. The Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act in 2010 required the Federal Reserve to disclose its emergency lending programs during the 2007-2009 financial crisis in December 2010. Money funds were directly benefited by the asset-backed commercial paper Money Market Liquidity Facility, AMLF, which financed the purchase of asset-backed commercial paper directly for the money funds. Pavlov and Wachter, 2002, Pavlov and Wachter, 2009A, Pavlov and Wachter, 2009B, Wilson, 2011A, and Wilson, 2011B, discuss how underpriced and non-recourse loans used in the Fed's emergency lending programs can boost asset prices. Dugan Buck et al. looks at the characteristics of money funds that participated in that program. Nevertheless, that study does not look at how AMLF participation is correlated with participation in U.S. Treasury's guarantee or sponsor support of money funds. The author matched the money funds selling ABCP in that program by hand to the money fund share classes in our sample. There were 387 mutual fund share classes in this sample that participated in the AMLF program. Our final source of data was iMoneyNet, which tracks money market mutual fund holdings. We found the percentage of holdings of the money market mutual fund share classes in lower rated second tier commercial paper and auction rate securities. In addition, iMoneyNet provided data on the percent of assets maturing in the next seven days. Section 3, 2010 Money Market Reforms. This paper attempts to test if the 2010 Money Market Reforms enacted by the SEC would have prevented past instances of sponsor support of money funds or the 2008 bailout of money market mutual fund industry. In early 2010, the SEC enacted five quantifiable new requirements as discussed in Federal Register 2010 for Rule 2A7 money market funds, which maintained a stable price at $1. All five of these requirements will be tested in this paper. One, daily liquid assets, DLA. Money markets funds had to have 10% of their assets in daily liquid assets. These assets are defined as cash, demand deposits, U.S. Treasury securities, and overnight repos collateralized by the U.S. Treasury securities. Two, weekly liquid assets. Money market funds have to have 30% of their portfolio in weekly liquid assets. These include daily liquid assets plus securities that the fund has 
a right to receive it cash in five business days. In addition, U.S. government agency securities of 60 days or less are included in this definition. Weighted average maturity. Rule 2A7 was amended requiring money funds to decrease their weighted average maturity from less than 90 days to less than 60 days. Three, second-tier commercial paper. Rule 2A7 was amended to require that money funds reduce their holding of lower quality and riskier second-tier commercial paper. The old standard requirement required that funds hold no more than 5% of assets in second-tier commercial paper. The 2010 standard limited second-tier commercial paper to 3% of total assets. 5. Weighted average life. This new requirement said that fund assets could not have a weighted average life of greater than 120 days. This requirement penalizes funds which have a lot of assets in auction rate or floating rate securities, which have long maturities but are repeatedly auctioned to new investors. The auction dates, not the final maturities of these securities, are used in calculated weighted average maturity. Thus, this measure discourages money funds from holding these floating rate notes. Han and Lee, Liu et al., 2010, and McConnell and Cerrado, 2010, detail how many of these floating rate auctions failed in the months prior to September 2008, leaving money fund investors stuck holding the securities for time periods much longer than originally intended. This paper uses several proxies for five new standards, yet these proxies are imperfect because the best data available from iMoneyNet did not precisely track these definitions in 2008. Instead, iMoneyNet had data on the percent holdings in various categories, the percent of securities maturing in seven days, and the weighted average maturity wham of the fund share assets. To find the proxy of daily liquid assets standard, the sum of the following items in September 2008 was calculated. Sum DLA, percent treasuries, plus percent repos, plus percent domestic bank deposits, plus percent foreign bank deposits. To avoid double counting, the safe securities in the sum of DLA, the dummy variable for the DLA standard, would equal 1 if sum DLA plus 1 seventh percent maturing in 7 days minus 1 minus sum DLA is greater than 10%. The weekly liquid asset standard was calculated first by summing the following. Sum WLA per equals percent treasuries plus percent repos plus percent domestic bank deposits plus percent foreign bank deposits plus two-thirds percent U.S. agency securities times minimum 60 divided by WAM or 1. The calculation of U.S. government agency securities reflects the fact that weighted average maturity declined after the 2010 reforms took effect. The weekly liquid assets WLA dummy equaled 1 if sum WLA plus maturing in 7 days minus 1 minus sum WLA is greater than 30%. The third and fourth standards were easy to measure in the 2008 data. iMoney did track WAM weighted average maturity in days. Thus, the 2010 weighted average liquidity standard was satisfied if weighted average maturity was less than 60. 99.9% of funds had less than 3% of assets in second-tier commercial paper in September 2008. Thus, almost all funds adhered to the 2010 standard in 2008. The 2010 second-tier commercial paper standard dummy equaled 1 if percent second-tier commercial paper was less than 3%. Because because there was so little variation in the data with respect to second-tier commercial paper dummy, we also look at the fund shares percent holdings as of second-tier commercial paper. The fifth new standard, which is tested here, is the weighted average life standard. For this standard, the proxy of fund share exposure to greater weighted average life is measured by its percent holdings in floating rate notes. Table 3 Panel A presents a summary statistics for measures of whether or not funds were complying with the 2010 reforms in 2008. According to this paper's definition, 88.5% of funds would have met the 2010 daily liquid standard in September 2008. Similarly, 97.6% of the funds had weekly liquidity greater than 30%. In the month that the primary reserve fund broke the buck, 91.4% of funds had weighted average maturities of less than 60 days. Finally, 99.9% .9 of funds 
had less than 3% of holdings in second-tier commercial paper. Thus, for these four standards, the vast majority of money funds were already in compliance before the 2010 reforms were proposed. Very few funds had exposure to second-tier commercial paper in September 2008. Indeed, over 90% of fund shares had no exposure to second-tier commercial paper. Holdings of floating-rate notes were, on average, 10.6% of fund share assets. Larger holdings of floating rate notes should be positively correlated with larger WAL. In Table 3, Panel B, summary statistics for the various types of money fund bailouts are presented. These six variables are dummy variables tracking fund shares, participation in taxpayer or sponsored bailouts during the financial crisis. In the sample, 91% of fund shares participated in the taxpayer's money market mutual fund guarantee program. A subset of the fund shares participated in the guarantee program paid 1.5 basis points to the U.S. Treasury because their fund shares had a floating net asset value at or above 0.995 per share but below 0.9975 per share on September 19th. 2008. About 10.5% of the sample both participated in the U.S. Treasury guarantee and paid the higher insurance rate. About a quarter of the sample sold asset-backed commercial paper to buyers in the Federal Reserve finance transactions in the AMLF program. 3.6% of the sample fund shares were saved from breaking the buck during the financial crisis because of the cash reserves from their sponsors. Over 20% of the sample received some sort of assistance from their sponsors, according to the SEC, yet much of the assistance was in the form of guarantees, insurance, or letters of credit. The next six dummy variables summarize the styles of the fund shares in the sample. These were based on liberal classification codes for the funds. 58% of the fund shares focused on institutional as as opposed to retail investors. About half of the money funds share classes were in prime funds. A quarter of the sample consisted of prime institutional funds, which experienced the severe run after Lehman Brothers' bankruptcy filing. 17% of the sample tracked tax-free municipal funds. 20% of funds bought securities of government-sponsored entities such as Ginny May, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. Another 16% of funds focused on U.S. Treasuries. Average total assets were almost $2 billion, although the median assets under under management were 271 million. The monthly returns in September 2008 were typically about 15 basis points, yet expense ratios were close to 59 basis points on average. The average fund saw its assets grow by almost 7% from the end of 2009 to the end of September 2008. The mean yield of fund shares in the sample was about 60 basis points. Section 4 Hypotheses In this section, we develop hypotheses regarding fund shares that received taxpayer guarantees from beginning in September 19, 2008, and funds that received sponsor assistance in 2007 to 2008 based on the SEC study in Hensler, 2012. Hypothesis 1, 2010 reforms. Money market funds with daily liquid assets greater than 10% are less likely to be bailed out by taxpayers or their sponsors. B, money market funds with weekly liquid assets greater than 30% are less likely to be bailed out by taxpayers or their sponsors. C, money market funds with weighted average maturities less than 60 days are less likely to be bailed out by taxpayers or their sponsors. D, money funds with lower percentages of second-tier commercial paper are less likely to be receive taxpayer or sponsor bailouts. E. Money funds with lower percentage of floating rate securities, a proxy for the weighted average life limits, will be less than likely to receive taxpayer or sponsor bailouts. Hypothesis 2. Bailouts as complements. Funds that receive bailouts from taxpayers are significantly more likely to have been bailed out by the Fed or their sponsors. B. Funds that are bailed out by their sponsors are significantly more likely to receive bailouts from the Fed or the U.S. Treasury. It is not clear that bailouts complement one another. Wilson et al. finds that negative association between investment banks borrowing from the Federal Reserve's term security lending facility and the receipt of troubled asset relief program TARP capital injections. Yet Wilson and Wu 2011 and Wilson and Wu 2011b find there is significant positive association between TARP funds and selling commercial paper to the Federal Reserve through this commercial paper financing facility, CPFF, and receiving debt guarantees from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC. 
Hypothesis 3, fund styles. Institutional funds will be significantly more likely to receive taxpayer bailouts or bailouts from their sponsors. Hypothesis 3B, prime funds will be significantly more likely to receive taxpayer bailouts or bailouts from their sponsors. C, municipal U.S. government and U.S. Treasury money funds will be significantly less likely to receive taxpayer funds. We know that commercial paper default of Lehman Brothers exposed primarily the risks of investing in prime money market funds, which were heavily exposed to financial commercial paper. The runs on prime money funds were primarily concentrated in the institutional, not the retail fund sector. We would expect that taxpayer guarantees and sponsor support would be needed more for institutional money funds than retail funds. Hypothesis for size. Bigger funds are more likely to avail themselves of taxpayer and sponsor bailouts. Larger funds are more likely to be invited into taxpayer guarantees. Moreover, they have more staff to apply for government assistance. Larger funds are more valuable to their sponsors and thus are more likely to receive support. Hypothesis 5. Age. Older funds are more likely to receive taxpayer sponsor bailouts. Older funds are likely to be more valuable to their sponsors. Thus, sponsors will either seek taxpayer insurance or will be willing to provide support for more established funds. Hypothesis 6, asset outflows. There will be a negative and significant association between asset growth and the propensity to receive a bailout from taxpayers and sponsors. We believe that fund managers will seek taxpayer sponsor support to stem large redemptions by investors. Hypothesis 7, yields, returns, and expenses. Funds with higher yields will be more likely to receive bailouts from taxpayers and their sponsors. Funds with lower returns will be more likely likely to receive bailouts from taxpayers and their sponsors. Funds with higher expense ratios will be more likely to receive bailouts from taxpayers and their sponsors. Higher yielding funds have taken on more risk and were more exposed to the financial crisis. Thus, they were would be more in need of assistance from the U.S. Treasury and their sponsors. Lower returning funds are more likely to see outflows and seek assistance of taxpayers and their sponsors. Higher expense ratio funds are more exposed to decline in performance and have to justify their expense ratios by successfully investing in higher returning assets. These funds are more likely to need support after the commercial paper default of Lehman Brothers. Section 5. Participation in the U.S. Treasury's Temporary Guarantee for Money Market Mutual Funds. In Table 4, the means of the fund share classes that received the U.S. Treasury's guarantees are compared to the means of fund share classes that did not receive taxpayer insurance. Surprisingly, funds that met the 2010 reforms daily liquidity, weekly liquidity, and weighted average maturity standards were significantly more likely to obtain taxpayer bailouts. Far from these higher standards preventing funds from getting taxpayer assisted, it appears that these more liquid funds with quicker maturing assets were more likely to obtain taxpayer assistance. The only part of hypothesis one that can be confirmed is that the funds more exposed to risking floating rate notes, auction rate securities are more likely to participate in the TTGMMMF. Thus, the 2010 reforms WAL standard, weighted average life standard, could have prevented some funds from relying on, on taxpayer guarantees. Funds that received the Fed's AMLF bailout or sponsor bailout were significantly more likely to be bailed out by taxpayers. There is little evidence that institutional funds were more likely to obtain taxpayer guarantees despite their greater propensity towards runs during the financial crisis. Prime funds were significantly more likely to receive taxpayer guarantees and funds invested in U.S. government and agency securities were significantly less likely to receive U.S. Treasury bailout guarantees. Larger, older, and higher expense ratio funds were also significantly more likely to benefit from U.S. Treasury guarantees. Not all of the univariate results about participation in the U.S. Treasury's temporary guarantee of money market mutual funds holds when we control for the influence of multiple factors. The logistic model can be used to estimate the probability that a given fund will receive a taxpayer bailout. Funds that get a taxpayer guarantees have a dependent variable equal to one, and those that don't have a dependent variable equal to zero. The proxy for the weighted average life 2010 reform is still 
significant, more exposure to floating rate securities, which increase a fund's weighted average life, is positively associated with the fund shares being guaranteed by taxpayers. All other variables, which are proxies for the 2010 standards, are insignificant in some specifications or significant but have the opposites of their predicted sign. For example, funds that exceeded the 30% liquidity threshold were significantly more likely to be bailed out. The funds benefiting from the Fed's AMLF bailout were more likely to get the U.S. Treasury guarantees, yet funds with sponsor assistance as defined by the SEC were significantly less likely to get taxpayer guarantees after controlling for other factors. In addition, funds receiving only cash assistance under the Boston Fed's definition of sponsor bailout were no more likely to participate in the TTGMMMF. Several other coefficients retain their signs and significance when controlling for other factors. The size hypothesis is strongly supported. Large funds are more likely to get taxpayer guarantees. Prime funds and older funds are more likely to get taxpayer insurance. Interestingly, the institutional dummy was insignificant in the most regressions. Thus, the SEC's 2014 reform, SEC 2014, requiring only prime institutional money funds to have a floating NAV may be too narrow. All prime funds, both retail and institutional, were more likely to be bailed out. With the floating NAV, the incentive for runs and the need for bailouts are greatly reduced since there is no benefit to getting to the exits first. Contrary to the hypothesis regarding mutual fund flows, funds which experienced net inflows during the weeks when the primary reserve fund broke the buck were more likely to obtain taxpayer guarantees. Thus, the most troubled funds with the net outflows were significantly less likely to benefit from the TTGMMMF. Section 6, Sponsor Bailouts of Money Market Mutual Funds in 2007 to 2008. In this section, we look at the associations between fund characteristics and the propensity of the fund shares to obtain a sponsor bailout as defined by SEC. Unlike the Treasury program, which had 91% participation among our sample, only 320 fund share classes of 1,565 in our sample received assistance from their sponsors during the financial crisis, according to Hensler 2012. Of these 320 fund share classes with sponsor bailouts, 300 fund share classes sampled also received taxpayer guarantees. Thus, taxpayers aided the vast majority of funds that their sponsors felt compelled to assist. Only some of the SEC's 2010 money market reforms were associated with a lower propensity to need sponsor support. The T-tests only support hypothesis 1C and 1E regarding effectiveness of the new weighted average maturity WAM and weighted average life standards. Funds were significantly less likely to receive sponsor bailouts if they had lower weighted average maturities in September 2008. They were more likely to need sponsor bailouts if they had auction rate securities with longer weighted average life. These results are similar to Table 4. Thus, the reforms that would have been the most likely to lessen the need for taxpayer and sponsor bailouts in the 2008 financial crisis were the WAM and WOW reforms. In Table 6, we find that the fund shares assist by their sponsors, according to Hensler 2012, were significantly more likely to get bailouts from the Federal Reserve, direct cash assistance from sponsors during the financial crisis, and help from taxpayers. Moreover, the fund shares that paid the higher insurance rates for taxpayer bailouts because they were close to breaking the buck were significantly more likely to receive sponsor support, according to the SEC. The funds with sponsor bailouts tended to cater to institutional investors. Prime funds were significantly more likely to get sponsors their bailout, while municipal U.S. government and U.S. Treasury funds were significantly less likely to receive sponsor bailouts. In contrast to funds with taxpayer assistance, funds with sponsor bailouts were significantly younger, with smaller expense ratios, and had significantly more outflows during the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy week. In Table 7, multivariate logit regressions were run. Positive coefficients indicate that increases in the independent variable make it more likely that 
fund shares will be bailed out by the fund sponsor, there was too little variation in the data with respect to second-tier commercial paper holdings to test hypothesis 1D in Table 7. But the rest of the 2010 money market reforms hypothesis 1 were tested after controlling for other factors. Only the weighted average maturity standard seemed to make sponsor bailouts less likely. After controlling for other factors, DLA, WLA, and WAL reforms had either insignificant coefficients or the opposite of the predicted sign. Funds with the U.S. Treasury guarantees with a September 19, 2008 NAV at or above 0.995 and below 0.9975 were significantly more likely to receive sponsor bailouts. In addition, funds participating in the Fed's asset-backed commercial paper purchase program were also more likely to get sponsor help during the 2007-2008 to financial crisis after controlling for other factors. Institutional funds and funds with higher monthly returns in September 2008 were more likely to get sponsor assistance after controlling for other factors. Yet most of the results that were significant in the t-test lost their significance or the sign changed when we control for other factors in logistics specification. For example, fund outflows in the week when the primary reserve fund broke the buck were not significantly related to sponsor bailouts. 7. Conclusion. The U.S. Treasury guaranteed $2.7 trillion of money market mutual fund assets from September 19, 2008 to September 18, 2009. This paper uses a unique data set of money funds participating in the taxpayer guarantee. In response to the bailout of money funds in the run triggered after the primary reserve fund broke the buck, reporting NAV losses of 0.03 per share, the Securities and Exchange Commission tightened up the liquidity and maturity standards of money funds in 2010. This paper looks at funds that adhere to the new 2010 requirements for money market funds in 2008. Those tighter standards were generally not associated with any decreased propensity of funds to need taxpayer sponsor bailouts. The exceptions were the reduction in the weighted average maturity from 90 to 60 days and the penalty for holding auction rate securities in the new weighted average life WAL standard. Funds with weighted average maturity less than 60 days were significantly less likely to receive taxpayer guarantees or fund sponsor rescues during the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009. Appendix, a back-of-the-envelope calculation of the cost of insuring money funds. If federal insurance is offered for money funds, it seems likely that fund sponsors will no longer feel compelled to rescue federally insured funds. If that happens, the cost of insuring money funds is greater than the $1.2 billion in premiums collected for insuring $2.7 trillion in money fund assets for a year. Below is an estimated that the insurance for the money mutual funds represented a 2.3 to 7.8 billion subsidy to the recipient mutual funds, 8.1 lower estimate. Based on the Moody's 2010 data for over 30 years from 1980 to 2009, there were 208 instances of sponsor bailouts for money funds. These funds broke the buck. Two funds breaking the buck were U.S.-based. By the end of 2009, 85% of the money market funds were based in the U.S., the TTGMMF guarantee guaranteed 97% of U.S. fund assets, according to my estimates. The average private bailout of money funds, according to Moody's, between 2007 and 2010 was $0.607 billion. The TTGMMF collected $1.2 billion in premiums. Minimum premium, low estimate, 211 divided by 30 times 0.97 times 0.85 times 0.607 billion is 3.5 billion. Federal subsidy low is 3.5 billion minus 1.2 billion or 2.3 billion. Higher estimate, the financial crisis had many more sponsor bailouts of money market mutual funds than the typical year between 1980 and 2009. In the U.S. between August 2007 and 2009, there were 36 sponsor bailouts and one fund breaking the buck. That is a 2.42-year period. The federal guarantee lasted one year from September 19, 2008 to September 18, 2009. Minimum premium, high estimate, 9 billion federal subsidy, high, 9 billion minus 1.2 billion equals 7.8 billion. It appears that the insurance that taxpayers provided was greatly underpriced. Taxpayers are fortunate to have turned a profit. There is no evidence that the U.S. Treasury did any analysis to ensure that the premiums were fairly priced. It was a program rolled out 
almost overnight. I have not built in any compensation for risk in these estimates. Thus, I believe investors providing such insurance would demand premiums higher than I have indicated in this range. Yet the stigma of tapping federal guarantees may have prompted some sponsors to bail out the funds with federal insurance. Thus, in that case, these estimates may be too high. $2.716 trillion in assets were insured by the U.S. Treasury's guarantee. In basis points, a zero subsidy cost of the insurance should have been 13 basis points to 33 basis points. Taxpayers charged an average of 4.4 basis points. Thus, the fair price of insurance was closer to 13 to 33 basis points, but taxpayers charged 4.4 basis points during the crisis period. Today, the money fund industry pays no insurance premiums to taxpayers or industry fund similar to the deposit insurance fund, but there is likely some market expectation that it will benefit from underpriced insurance during the next crisis. Okay, I recently uh, presented this paper at the Southwestern Finance Association in Houston, Texas on March 15th, and you can see that presentation at the Linus Wilson YouTube channel. Links to the video and the paper are in the show notes, or you can see links to all my research at financeprofessor.org, where you can sign up for our free newsletter. Until next time, this is Linus Wilson.